I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck. Chuck's here. Jerry's here. I'm here. We're all here. Are you here? Great. Well, then that makes this stuff you should know. You know what else is here? What? Microplastics. Yeah, what else? Uh, I don't know. All kinds of PFASs and xenobiotics. Yeah, maybe a little bit of um, uh, BPDs, THCs. You- you can only say that if you sing it like, uh, what's his face? KRS One. No, a little bit of. Mm, 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 mm. Lou Bega. Yeah, the guy who fake listened to our show. The fake Lou Bega who listened to our show. <laughs> what, what does he have to do with? Um, uh, well, you said a, a little bit of, and you can't start oh, any sentence see, like see. that without singing it Lou Bega style. Wow, I love that joke that I just smashed all over the place. A little bit of plastic in your gut. <laughs> That's about right, man. Yeah. So you you mentioned what we're talking about, xenobiotics. And um, just that word is a little unnerving, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about, um, f- so xeno means foreign. Mm-hmm. If you're a xenophobe, you're afraid of immigrants. Boo. If you're a xenophile, you really love immigrant immigrants. Yay. Um, but xeno means foreign. Biotic means body or life or something like that. And it's not to be confused. Ed helped us out with this, and I think he made a good point. It's not to be confused with xenobiology. That's the search for extraterrestrial life of any kind. Not that. This is xenobiotics, meaning substances that are foreign to life, foreign to the body, foreign to biology. Um, And there's just such a a mind-boggling array of them, and they're so fully set into the global environment that it's we're just now becoming aware of how awash we are in these things. And mm-hmm. now we're saying, okay, uh, just exactly how are these things going to kill all of us? Should we read that textbook definition now, or did you want to hang on to that? Uh, go ahead. All right. Uh, xenobiotic is defined, oh, here we go, elementary school style, mm-hmm. uh, as a chemical that is not used. And this is, who is this from, by the way? Do we even know? No, I don't know. All right. A xenobiotic is defined as a chemical that is not used by the reference organism. So in that case, we're talking about like could be a human, could be an animal, could be a, a plant in a wetland. Mm-hmm. Uh, not used as a nutrient chemical is not essential for maintenance of normal, uh, normal physiologic biochemical function and homeostasis does not constitute a part of the conventional array of chemicals synthesized from nutrient chemicals in normal intermediary metabolism. So like you said, that's sort of a baggy way of saying it's a foreign thing that gets into our body or the body of an animal or or a plant, like the plant body, Uh whether on purpose or, you know, like you drink booze, technically that's a xenobiotic, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, or unknowingly, which is like microbeads in your lipstick. Yeah, and there are things that we put into our bodies that are, are technically foreign to our bodies, like um, essential amino acids, like tryptophan. We don't make enough of that, so we can put that in our bodies through, way, like, eating turkey or whatever. Right. And um, that is used in the normal physiological processes of keeping you alive. Mm-hmm. It would not qualify as a xenobiotic. Xenobiotics do things in your body that's beyond normal 
homeostatic physiological properties, the normal stuff your body would be doing if none of these things were in your body. So that's another big key thing, too. They typically have some effect or another on our body. Um, and a lot of times it's because our bodies are responding to them or doing things to them and can actually make them worse in some cases. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you can uh, purposefully or accidentally ingest it, like literally ingest it by eating it. Mm -hmm. You can inhale it. Um, like I mentioned, the um, cosmetics and stuff, it can come through your skin. Yeah. There's all kinds of ways. Uh, and, they're, and they all are quite proficient at seemingly getting into the human body. Yeah. They'll get in basically any way they can. If you stand there with your pants off, they're going to find a way in. Uh, yeah, and we should also say up front, like a lot of this stuff is really kind of sad and scary. Um, we should say there are like tens of millions of xenobiotics, and they're not all dangerous necessarily. A lot of this stuff is, and we'll talk about why it's all, you know, fairly new as far as, real, as, far as really studying it. Um, sometimes they can even be beneficial. Mm -hmm. Uh, it seems like that's on the rarer side than when they're harmful. Uh, but one example in here was uh, the stuff in uh, soy, isoflavones. Uh, they can help regulate the, the converted, of course, and they can help regulate estrogen. Um, yes. But there is a famous Renaissance Swiss physician named Paracelsus, who's known as the father of toxicology. And he had mm. a paraphrased quote that um, the the dose makes the poison. So, like, you could take right. too many isoflavones, eat, sure. eat too much soy, and all of a sudden your endoc endocrine processes are going to be disrupted. So they, it, it's things can have beneficial effects for us at certain amounts, but beyond that, uh, it, it can be, you know, terrible for us. Or something can be terrible for us, but beneath a certain amount, it'll have no effect whatsoever. So that's a really important thing to remember. They're not all necessarily dangerous, and they're not all necessarily... Um, even though they're foreign, they're not necessarily all synthetic. Yeah, I mean, people, and we've been guilty of throwing the word chemical around sometimes, like, oh, there's chemicals in this, and there's chemicals in that. Right. I think using the word xenobiotics drills down a little more, uh, but even then, they're not all synthetic. No, and that doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, not all synthetics are harmful for you. We don't really know enough about that, and a lot of them are. What it's saying is just because something's natural, a natural, uh, naturally occurring chemical, doesn't mm -hmm. mean that it's necessarily good for you or isn't harmful. Yeah. Uh, I threw out some numbers, like tens of millions. Uh, according to the Journal of Chemical Research and Toxicology, more than 52 million organic and inorganic substances have been synthesized. Uh, and uh, there are about 39 million that are commercially available. <laughs> and in your life, like the average uh, person walking around, will be exposed to uh, between one and three million different xenobiotic substances in their life. Yeah. One to three million. Different ones. Not mm -hmm. one to three million times you're going to be exposed to xenobiotics. Yeah, different, different ones. ones. That's remarkable. It is. And one of the other, one of the big problems about this, so that just goes to show you, like, they're everywhere, and they get in our bodies really easily, and they do weird stuff that we're just starting to wrap our head around, frequently very dangerous or harmful stuff to us. Um, and the, the, there's an NGO called ChemSec that pointed out that of the chemicals that are in use in um, European Union countries, 65% of them are harmful to human health. Yeah. And I read a, a kind of a critique of toxicology by a toxicologist who said the field is basically obsessed with proving without a doubt that something is harmful Mm -hmm. And that that prevents them from branching out and looking at new stuff because they're busy proving the original stuff is beyond a doubt harmful for you or the effects that it has. Um, and that uh, that's just the ones that we know of that we've tested. 65% of those are harmful. Yeah. There are so many chemicals, uh, natural and uh, synthetic, in our world that we interact with, that we ingest, that make their way into our body, that we have no idea what they do right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as far as what we're going to be talking about, though, is xenobiotics, meaning the stuff that um, has, we've come into contact with, it's in our bodies, and unusual things, uh, like, happen after that. Yeah, beyond your we're, we're not talking. Yeah, we're not talking about the, the three million things. We can't. No, we're not going to go over each one, if that's what you mean. Yeah, there's no way. We don't have time. <laughs> this is not a xenobiotics 
lifetime show where we do this for the next 30 years. <laughs> it's talking about 3 million xenobiotics. It could be. That'd be neat. <laughs> so uh, one other thing you mentioned when you uh, came up with plant bodies. Yeah. Uh, this, this can affect um, not just humans, but other animals and plants as well. Um, and, I mean, aside from concern for polluting the environment and affecting animals who have nothing mm-hmm. to do with this, the moral quandary of that, we uh, a lot, very frequently eat those animals and those plants. And mm-hmm. so we ingest those things that get introduced to those environments and those animals. Yeah. And so the whole thing scales up. And there's some really interesting analogy between ecosystems and uh, xenobiotics entering ecosystems or becoming part of ecosystems and how they enter and impact the human body as well. So it scales all the way up from the individual organism and even yeah. as far as their cells all the way up to entire ecosystems, and now we're realizing the the world, the entire world. Yeah. Well, and in the water we drink and stuff like that, the air we breathe. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about, like, polluted anything, food, soil, whatever, mm-hmm. what we're saying is that those things have an excess of xenobiotics. Like, that's what's polluting them. And right. it can come in all sorts of different forms and fashion, and all sorts of stuff can be polluted. But that's what we mean we're saying, like, polluted air or polluted water. Yeah, and that's easier to say than xenobiotics over and over. Uh, and in fact, this you know we'll get to microplastics and, and specifically microbeads, but uh, Obama, and it actually got 100% uh, Senate support. On Rotten Tomatoes. Which is, <laughs> it broke the tomato meter. Uh, when he signed the Microbead Free Water Act, or Free Waters Act in 2015. Oh, okay. So this is when they they said, hey, no more microbeads. And I, I thought, like, oh, great. So there's not microbeads in cosmetics anymore. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. There's no microbeads. What the act says is it can't be in rinse-off cosmetics. Mm-hmm. So ostensibly what that's saying is because we want to protect the water, you know, like when you wash the, the uh, exfoliant off your face, yeah. it goes down the drain and into the water systems. But it can still be in, like, lipstick and mascara and stuff. So, again, you know, it, it was a good thing, and it's um, and it's helped. But there are still microbeads in cosmetics, just not in stuff that goes down the sink. Yeah. And, my friend, that's just microbeads. Just microbeads. So, um, one thing that I find just absolutely fascinating, I could talk about it all day, is the trouble th- that lies in trying to categorize xenobiotics. <laughs> Don't you find that fascinating? I do. So there's, it's all over the place. And the, one of the reasons it's important is because it shows just how new this field of understanding xenobiotics is. We can't even figure yeah. out how to classify them yet. That's true because there's a lot of them. We talked about the, the many millions. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of overlap. So, like, it, it's, it's kind of the case of where, like, if you classify it, you're saying it's, it's just this. Uh, but – you know, if you want to say, well, it's this chemical family, uh, and it, but this is how it's used, and this is how the body responds to it, and this is what effect it has on the body. Like, each of those could be its own classification. Right. So it gets very unwieldy very quickly. Yeah, I think the EU has 17 groups of uh, classifications for xenobiotics, and those are just the ones that th- they have listed as the ones of most concern. But because there's so many, there's so much overlap, there's so much... Um, well, yeah, overlap, that yeah. it almost <laughs> renders classifying them either so, you have to get so detailed that your yeah. your book of classifications would be like the universe-wide, or um, it renders them basically useless because yeah. some would just show up in every classification you have. Right, and you might be thinking like, big whoop, who cares if you can classify them? They're still out there. But classification is how you group things into like getting funding to study something. Uh, like you can't just write a very vague funding statement and say like, we just want to study, you know, xenobiotics and yeah, or like how it's bad for you. Yeah, because I think there's like more than 18 kinds of microbead even, <laughs> or maybe more than that. Um, but, you know, that's how you like get funding. That's how you um, science classifies things. It's how they talk about things. Mm-hmm. And so it is an important deal. Yes, and so the other thing about the difficulty classifying these things is that it also shows just how ubiquitous they are. Yeah. Like they're everywhere. Like they're 
they're in our cosmetics, they're in our cooking pans, they're in our food packaging, they're in our shampoos, like you were saying, um, and they're in the water we drink, the air we breathe. Yeah, they're passed on through the ru- the womb, through breast milk, through uh, blood donations. Um, it's in the Arctic, it's in the deep ocean, like like xenobiotics, especially synthetic ones, are are have have settled all over the world and in most human bodies. Boy, I think that is a great unsettling intro. Yeah, and I want to just point out, though, before we go to break, we're not trying to be alarmist or prompt any sort of hysteria or panic or anything like that. Like, breast milk is a great example. Yes, xenobiotics can be passed through breast milk, but if you read about breast milk, Mm -hmm. um, health organizations still say, it, like the benefits of breast milk so vastly outweigh the harm mm-hmm. that xenobiotics do, at least as far as we know now, that you definitely want to keep breastfeeding. So we're not trying to like scare anybody or prompt a panic, but this is this is the, the current state of the science right now. Yeah. And go read any cosmetic company's mission statement on xenobiotics and microbeads and they'll say it's really no big deal. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I did that today and I was like, Oh, okay. And since 2015, we've been doing this and this. It didn't say, well, because a, a, an entire Republican and Democratic Senate agreed oh, right, right. to make yeah. that illegal. They leave that off. Uh, it made it sound like it was some voluntary thing. And all, but, all uh, of those posts always end with, now let's get back to being pretty. Right. It's just click on the link to go back to shopping. Uh, all right. So we'll take that break now. We'll come back and we'll talk about what the body can do with this stuff once it gets inside of us. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So as promised, we're going to talk about what can happen once this goes in the body. Uh, and you shouldn't be surprised to learn that the body tries to do with it what it does with most things that uh, it ingests. There's there's only a handful of things that the body can do. They can ad- absorb it, mm-hmm. which means it's going into your tissue and, or in your blood or back and forth between the two. But basically, it, it absorbs it and kind of stays there. Uh, they can distribute it. Uh, and that's when it's going back and forth between different parts of your body. Like a... a- a shuttlecock in a, a badminton game. Exactly. Sorry, I've got shuttlecocks shuttle on the brink because I saw the Wham <laughs> documentary last night. Oh, is it good? Oh, it's great. Were they into badminton? There's one part with the shuttlecock and, and George Michael. Ooh, it's very tantalizing. It, it is. It's as tantalizing <laughs> as it sounds, believe me. I got to watch that. What's that on? Mm, I'd rather not say. I'm just kidding. Netflix. 
Uh, okay, I'm about to drop them, so maybe I'll watch it and then drop them. Uh, yeah, it's it's worth watching before you drop them for sure. Okay. Uh, biotransformation is when uh, the body breaks it down into its, you know, its different parts. And then from there, it can be uh, metabolized, which, of course, means it's going to be converted into some new kind of chemical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll talk more about metabolism in a minute because it's pretty important. Uh, or the last thing it could do is eliminate it. Uh, it could, uh, you know, the liver, of course, is where it's usually going to go is the first stop processing center of the body. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to you're going to pee it out or poop it out or sweat it out or it'll be in your hair and it'll grow out through your hair and then you'll cut that hair. Like Britney Spears. <laughs> Man, you're just dropping the funny refs today. Oh, thanks. Shuttlecocks, Britney Spears. What else? <laughs> Oh, just just you wait, buddy. Okay. <laughs> but sometimes that stuff's eliminated I- intact, like it had no impact or effect on the body. And one of the very famous examples of that, Chuck, is when your pee turns bright yellow after taking a multivitamin. Right. What you're seeing is the the excess B6 or 12 mm-hmm. um, that your body didn't absorb that's being sent out intact. Uh, vitamin B has a fluorescent look to it. So it's taking your yellow pee and boosting it in a neon status. Like wham style. Yeah. But it, technically you could drink your pee with mm. that vitamin B and you would ingest some more. Um, it's just that there was more than your body needed at the time in that vitamin. So it's just excreting it out just the same way it came in. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff, you know, I mentioned those four ways. It's not just one or the other. Like a lot of these overlap as well. So a good example of that is you might ingest uh, like, well, THC. Let's say you, let's say you puffed on a doobie. Okay. Uh, that THC is a, is a xenobiotic, and THC, as most people know who know anything about it, uh, is absorbed in fat mainly. Yeah. Um, it was called adipose. Yeah, that's, that's your fatty tissue. Yeah, adipose fat. And that's where a lot of that THC goes, and uh, it doesn't stay there forever or anything, but a lot of different kinds of xenobiotics may go into that those fat deposits. Mm-hmm. Let's say you lose some weight, it's going to burn burn that fat off, and then sometimes those xenobiotics can be released back into the bloodstream, and it may be kind of the same or it may be changed, uh, but it's in your body again because you have burned fat that was storing that stuff. Yeah, and just from it being present when you burn fat means that it could have been chemically changed into some new um, chemical compound, which is a frequent uh, happenstance with xenobiotics in the human body. And that actually can be the fate of a lot of different xenobiotics. Um, Your body takes them and turns them into entirely new things. Um, So that that can happen to, say, THC that's part of uh, a fat cell that gets burned for energy. It turns into PCP. It's amazing. By the way, the keen-eared listener might have heard a little uh, Momo cameo. Oh, yeah. Could you hear Mo? I heard a little bit before you you got up and said, Mo, come on. (laughs) You know when the red light's on what that means. Mm -hmm. She's like, sorry, (laughs) I know, but I just can't stand landscapers. There may have been a couple of uh, barks in there, though, but I I like that. I like a Momo cameo. Let's leave it. All right, cool. We will. She'll love it. Oh, yeah. So, uh, we're, we're PCP oh, yeah. is what you were talking we were about. PCP. Oh, there's one other thing that happens too, right? So, when this, say the THC gets released back into your system, Chuck, mm-hmm. one of the things, um, th- as it enters the bloodstream, you're, it might get taken finally to the liver. And this is yeah. where the fate of most xenobiotics, the vast majority of xenobiotics, end up in the liver. Poor liver. And the liver actually produces enzymes that seem to be <clears throat> dedicated to metabolizing xenobiotics. We have a whole class of genes called cytochrome 450 genes. They express enzymes that convert um, xenobiotics into less harmful stuff in the body. Pretty cool, right? And it also shows that like xenobiotics are nothing new as far as our bodies are concerned. I know. It's kind of awesome and sad all at the same time. Right. So the liver is going to process what it can. When it renders it harmless enough, it will send it to the kidneys or to the intestine where it's either pooped out or peed out, or the intestines will reabsorb it and send it back to the liver, and the, it'll be processed further and broken down further. And eventually, over enough time, they call them half-lives, just like with radioactivity, the thing mm-hmm. has been basically rinsed and repeated so many times that enough, there's, it's just so little of it in your system that it's essentially gone, even if there might be little trace amounts left. Yeah. And then I know we talked about this in our uh, 
maybe an alcoholism or did Hangover. we just do one on hangovers maybe? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it gets broken down into something that's worse for you that's actually really bad. And alcohol is a, is a great example. Uh, when it hits the liver, those enzymes go to work like they're trained to do. And it turns it into uh, acetaldehyde. And that's a metabolite of alcohol. And that is the carcinogen. That's the thing that is, you know, if you're a severe alcoholic and you're, you're dying from it, it's from that acetaldehyde which is, uh, comes about because your liver is trying to break down that alcohol mm -hmm. that you're just dumping on it. Yeah, that's a metabolite of, um, of alcohol. So it's a product of metabolism, but it's an intermediary one. It gets transformed into acetate, which is far less toxic as far as your body's concerned. But for that brief time where the alcohol is uh, in acetaldehyde form, before it becomes acetate, it can do a lot of damage, genetic yeah. damage to your cells that can get passed on and turn into tumors, or it can just damage the cells and the liver grows back kind of hardened or scarred, and that's where you get things like cirrhosis. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that half-life you were talking about, you can't, it's not, um, you know, when you talk about the half-life of like uh, nuclear waste or something, mm -hmm. nuclear waste, mm -hmm. is that a good example? Yeah, definitely, like plutonium. Yeah, you can you can be a little more specific. Uh, the conditions of the of the human that ingests something makes it really hard to uh, get a like a really precise half life on xenobiotics because of how old you are, how heavy you are, what kind of health you're in, mm -hmm. all, all kinds of stuff like that. So you're going to always see a range as far as a half life goes in the case of xenobiotics. Yes. Yeah. Like a big range. Yeah, like uh, alprazolam, which I think is an antidepressant or anti-anxiety drug, has a, okay. a half-life of 6 to 12 hours. Yeah, so either one thing or double it. <laughs> right. So, yeah, but the point of this and the point of knowing half-lives and all that is if you know, you know, what route a xenobiotic takes and what it does in your body and how long it's around for, you can treat those things better. You can also design drugs better that can treat xenobiotics or do other things. You can, you can make them much more targeted and personalized. Yeah. That's one of the reasons for understanding all this, aside from having your mind blown. Right. Um, we talked about ecosystems. You know, it's not just humans and animals that are affected by this stuff. Uh, the good news about ecosystems is that, uh, and we've talked about this in different, you know, uh, earth science podcast over the years, mm -hmm. uh, they resemble the human body in a lot of ways. And one way is how they process things. Uh, there are things in ecosystems that help uh, move along these xenobiotics, uh, sometimes unchanged, mm -hmm. just because it goes in like, let's say, a river and then doesn't really change much before it's washed down and evaporates into the air, let's say. Yeah. So that's kind of like our process of elimination. Yeah. Um, there are other analogies, too, and they're really found in wetlands. They call um, wetlands, as we've said many times before, Earth's kidneys because great, they're, great they're so good at filtering toxins out of water, and they do them a, a, a few different ways. One of the main ways is that they just trap them in the sediment. Yeah, They lay on top of them like a, a, a murderer <laughs> in a hospital room with a pillow over the victim's face. Yeah, the forever hug. Exactly. Um, and that's very similar to our method of absorption, where it just gets locked into our tissues. Right. They can also um, break them down chemically or biologically, like um, just exposure to the sun can break the chemical sure. bonds of some things. Uh, yeah. Gasoline, there are, um, there's algae and other kinds of microorganisms that are actually capable of eating gasoline, breaking it down into less harmful constituent parts. And that's basically the same thing as what our the enzymes in our bodies are doing with um, uh, what's it called biotransformation. Yeah, pretty neat stuff. Yeah. I love that when there's just like really obvious analogies between us and other parts of Earth because it's just such a reminder that like we're a part of this larger whole and it's a part of us too. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the there's a half life in the environment as well. Uh, it's going to be different than it is in us, of course. But, um, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, rain can wash stuff away. Of course, it might end up in the in the groundwater and it might uh, react with something else along the way. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, the journey of the xenobiotic in the environment is uh, is kind of like in humans, but kind of different and fraught with 
you know, meeting up with other things. Yeah, I don't know if you said it or not, but the half-life in our bodies has a lot to do with the state of our health, um, our diet, our weight, our um, age, our sex. All of that stuff contributes to it. And then, like a xenobiotic in the, in the environment interacting with other xenobiotics, same thing in our, our bodies. We're finding yeah. that xenobiotics interact with other xenobiotics or say, and then they interact in different ways with the metabolites <laughs> of a xenobiotic. And there's a bunch of different metabolites. So as you start to kind of connect them, the whole web grows exponentially. And you realize just how ridiculously complex this entire thing that we're starting to understand is and just how daunting the idea of coming to fully understand it is. Should we take another break? I think so. Anytime you say, I, I would be a fool to say no. <laughs> that means I need to collect myself. Sure. All right, I'm going to collect myself, and we'll be right back to talk about uh, how screwed we may or may not be right after this. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Chuck, you used um, maybe the more uh, genteel term, screwed. Mm -hmm. But again, we're not here to cause alarm or panic or anything like that. But there is a lot of cause for concern the more we realize what chemicals we're interacting with and the more we realize how ubiquitous they are. Yeah, and uh, very key in some, uh, some cases how long they last. Yeah. Because we've been talking a lot about how these things break down. Some of them are very good at not breaking down. And some of them are so good at that that they're called forever chemicals. Uh, the one example that was used in here was uh, this woman that uh, was, was found to have something called oxychlordane mm -hmm. uh, in her body, which is a metabolite of a pesticide mm -hmm. uh, called chlordane. And they used that pesticide for many decades uh, treating termites. Uh, but it was a really bad thing that the world eventually said, oh, you know what? We shouldn't use this stuff anymore. Uh, so it was covered under the Stockholm Convention and hasn't been around since 88 in the States and since 81 in the UK. 
when this person, this woman was a one, a one-year-old baby, but that stuff was still in her body, you know, 30-plus years later. Yeah, that woman was a, an environmental journalist named Anna Turns, and she was writing on BBC. And in this article, she says, like, I probably got this from my mom. It was probably passed through the womb. Oh, interesting. And because the half-life of chlordane is 30 years, that means it's still in me, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that means that I probably passed it along to my kids as well. And that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a thing. Like, there, if the half-life of a chemical is longer than a human life, mm -hmm. then for all intents and purposes, once it enters your body, it's, it's never going to go away as far as you're concerned. It will always be there. Yeah. Although there uh, are ways to get them out, we're starting to learn, and that will be a huge field of uh, inquiry in the coming years. Of, of ridding your body of these? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, another term for a xenobiotic that stays around for a long, long time uh, and that is pretty harmful, uh, and we should mention that, um, well, we're going to talk about them, persistent organic pollutants, or POPs, uh, these have been around since the 1940s. These aren't brand new either. Uh, and specifically, one type of those, uh, PFAS, P-F-A-S, uh, polyfluoroalkyl substances. Yeah, you got it. And they are, thank you, uh, they are great as far as being resistant to like uh, oil and heat and water. Mm -hmm. So you're going to find them in things like Scotchgard and Gore-Tex and Teflon and uh, flame retardants that firefighters use. Uh, these, have, like I said, these have been around for a long time. Uh, they exist in, I think, more than these PFAS, PFASs? Was that what you would say? That's what I've been wanting to say, but I haven't seen it anywhere. There's no little Chloride. S. Yeah. I think they just say PFAS, PFAS? or PFAS. Okay. But well, it should be plural. I think so. Uh, but there are more than, I think, 12,000 forms mm -hmm. in thousands of products. Yeah. And it's it's a big deal. This is the stuff that that should cause some alarm. So one of the things about those products that that um, PFASs are used in is that it can wash away, right? Like if you if you have a fairly new washing machine and you look mm -hmm. closely, you'll see that probably there's a um, weatherproof or waterproof setting for your North Face raincoat or something like that. And it's meant to um, very delicately wash it because you can very easily wash that, that coating oh. off. And when that coating washes off, no matter how delicate your washing machine is, some of it's going to wash off. It drains out of your washing machine and it drains right into your mu municipal wastewater system. And we have no idea how to get PFAS out of our water. <laughs> so it's just introduced into water and it can go anywhere from that point. Yeah, and it like we said, it's uh, this stuff stays around for a long, long time, uh, largely because one of the strongest chemical bonds there is, the carbon-fluorine bond. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a CDC report that said they could be found in the blood of 97% of Americans. Yeah, so the National Institutes of Health here in the United States says we don't 100% know exactly what kind of harm this causes, so right. the NIH is being very um, courteous to big chemical and saying, mm -hmm. like, we, you know, we don't know for sure that it does. But if you listen to the EPA or the CDC, they're willing to say PFASs have been linked to a whole suite of health problems from right. endocrine disruption, low birth weight, um, lowered uh, effectiveness of the immune system, tons of cancers. Yeah. And, yes, we haven't fully demonstrated that it, it, this does exactly this, but there's enough evidence. And, most importantly, we're exposed to these things and enough people have it in their blood that it's really worth not waiting around to see right. exactly what mechanism gives you cancer from PFOSs before we start regulating PFOSs. And this, I think the EPA just issued its first guideline as recently as 2016. And these things have been around since the 40s. And there's a bunch of lawsuits that show that DuPont yeah. and 3M have known they were harmful since at least 1961. Yeah, and they're going to, they may end up paying out more than the tobacco companies did. Yeah, that's what I saw. In the end. Um, and this stuff, you know, it, it's bad enough for adults, but this stuff, like the CDC also talked about babies mm -hmm. and like 
learning and behavior and the growth of your baby can is, you know, they have to be so it's a little frustrating because they have to say, you know, like it could cause mm-hmm. problems mm-hmm. Uh, in infants and older children and stuff like that. Because, like you said, they haven't certifiably like proven the stuff. But uh, it's just such an obvious thing. Um, I hope when people read warnings like that, they don't say, oh, well, they haven't absolutely proved it. So it's just fine. Yeah. The thing is, is science doesn't need to start adopting that. It's like it's to- we totally know that this is it. Because science never does. It's just the point of science. I think what the goal here is, is to get the public aware that, like you said, when they see a warning like that, they know what that means. It's essentially like steer clear of this, not, oh, I'm going to wait around 20 years to, to, for the field of toxicology to prove me, to me conclusively that this gives me cancer. And in the meantime, I'm going to keep licking my Teflon-coated frying pan all day long. Right. And another thing is like you can't, uh, get two populations and say, all right, this population, we're going to feed you and make you inhale microplastics. And this population, we're not. So we can get a one-to-one comparison mm-hmm. here. They test the stuff on animals, but they they can't literally do that to a human being. They can test it on cells, and they have, and it showed cell damage and cell death. But, you know, you, you can't design a study where you just feed people microplastics and microbeads. No, what you would have to do is take a, a part of the study population and sequester them away in a glass box for the length of the study and just let right. the rest of the study population go about their daily lives and just well, yeah, compare the point. two like that. Uh, we did mention microplastics earlier, and a microplastic is defined technically as, as a plastic less than five millimeters mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple of kinds. It can be either primary or secondary. Secondary means it's broken down from a larger plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like might be microplastics you find in the ocean uh, from larger plastic that's just been out there forever. Uh, or the primary kind is the stuff that is manufactured and put purposefully packaged and put into products. Yeah, like the stuff that keeps like a cellophane wrapper or like a burger wrapper from sticking to the bun. That's yeah. Teflon. There's Teflon coating on there. Like, that's what they use. It's it's used all around us. And, Chuck, one of the things about microplastics that really kind of ties into PFASs is that when you wash that same Gore-Tex coat, that coat's made of microplastics. And some of those are going to come out, and just like the PFASs, they're going to enter the water supply. And these little tiny plastic fibers are capable of actually evaporating from water into the air, which means they can be carried through the atmosphere and dumped down as snow in the Arctic. And with very little surprise, they've actually found microplastics in what is essentially pristine Arctic areas. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you've ever if you've ever wondered, like, oh, why is it that when I shred cheese with a cheese shredder, it's all stuck together like cheese does? Mm-hmm. And when I buy the stuff in the package... None of that stuff's ever sticking together. It's just all, all like little individual strands of cheese. Well, it's because they they coat those little shreds of cheese with stuff to keep keep them from clumping together. I'm not sure what it is in cheese if it's a xenobiotic. Um, so I probably should have checked that, but it just like came to me at the top of my head. If they if you know that they spray something onto the cheese to keep it from sticking, there's a hundred percent chance it's a xenobiotic. Uh, actually, here it is. It's cellulose. Okay, so that would technically count because we don't, like, we eat cellulose, but it doesn't necessarily contribute to our normal physiological processes. So in that circumstance, it would be a xenobiotic. Yeah, there's an article that I'm seeing now, cellulose, colon, the wood pulp in your shredded cheese. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we don't, we don't get that stuff anymore. I mean, it, like you said, it's hard to avoid, I mean, it's impossible to 100% avoid this stuff if you're just walking around the planet. Mm-hmm. But you can do a, a good job at, at weeding out as much as you can as far as, like, cosmetics and, like, this shredded cheese and just things that you know for sure uh, that they're they're adding this stuff to to make your product a little whatever, prettier or less clumpy or, you know, less sticky. So, yeah, I think the one takeaway from this episode is steer clear of shredded cheese. Right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I like it when it clumps together, man. That's, that's the great thing about shredding your own it cheese. It keeps you busy breaking it up. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways that um, microplastics, PFASs, xenobiotics in general can mess with our bodies um, as they're metabolized or as they just enter our bodies. Um, but 
ultimately one of the one of the big problems that they cause is cancer. Yeah. And if you have like an acute poisoning of, of a xenobiotic, you can be treated typically. There's an antidote out there maybe that can help you metabolize it faster, that can block the same receptors that that, mm-hmm. that xenobiotic would attach to and keep it from harming you. But with cancer, it's typically the result of a buildup um, from repeated exposure of a, mm-hmm. a xenobiotic that does not is not easily cleared from the body. And that the more time it spends in your body, the more chance it has to do um, genetic damage. Um, and as again, as we've seen, the basis of a tumor is a cell that has damaged uh, um, replicating genes in your mm-hmm. DNA strand. And as those get back together, there's nothing stopping them from continuing to replicate and replicate and grow and grow and grow. And that's the basis of a tumor. So we don't know exactly what all xenobiotics can do that. Um, we just know that some can, and we're starting to realize like that, that is, it's, it's a frequent occurrence from exposure to xenobiotics, especially built up ones. Yeah. And, you know, studying that stuff is problematic. It's tough because there's so many of them, uh, which is what we've been trying to hammer home. So I hope it's coming through. Uh, it's, you know, they are studying that stuff, but if you're talking about long-term exposure, you're talking about, you know, multi-year studies and they're doing it, but it's all that stuff is expensive. It takes a lot of time. And there are, you know, tens of millions of these chemicals. So, A, that's why classification helps because you can group mm-hmm. them into a class and study a class. Uh, but it's just, you know, it's a very daunting thing where they're doing great work in cancer research, but there's just so much out there. Yeah, it's tough. for sure. Um, so a lot of people are saying, well, let's turn to AI. AI can figure this out. AI can grasp all this like galaxy of interactions between different uh, xenobiotics and their metabolites, and um, that's probably a really great path to be pursuing right now. Um, so one other thing that would be a, probably have AI applied to it is something called metabolomics. Yeah. Which the goal of metabolomics is um, measuring and quantifying every single metabolic process that happens in the body and then assigning like a signature to it so that you can very quickly detect what your body's doing at any given point in time. Mm -hmm. And you can say treat it accordingly or adjust it accordingly, depending on what's going on. I mean, that's a huge deal considering for, you know, a hundred years or so, they were like, "Mm, pee in this thing and we'll test your pee. Yeah. And that was kind of where, (laughs) where the research ended. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that was, I mean, that's kind of still where it's at. Like metabolomics is so new that it's almost hypothetical right now. I, there's people working on it for sure, but I think they still will generally have you pee and test you afterward. Or after you're dead, they'll go dig into your bone or your fatty tissue and start testing right. and see what's there. Yeah. Wow. So that's xenobiotics for now. Do you think this is one that we would probably um, like visit maybe later on? Oh, maybe. Okay, we'll see. Kind of like birth order? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but on purpose, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I th- by the way, people pointed out we did customs twice. I don't remember that, but I guess I we did. either, man. Okay, um, so let's see. Since Chuck said that he doesn't remember it, and I said I don't remember either doing customs twice, that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this, it has been spanked on the bottom. Oh, very nice. Uh, aloha, guys and Jerry. I uh, just want to share a bit of serendip. Oh, I like this already. Uh, after having listened to the Magic Eye Illusions episode, uh, my family and I just stayed in a cabin, uh, Mount St. Helens, and I had a, an old school handheld stereoscope. Oh. That is awesome. So cool. Uh, my kids really loved it. Included some pics, and there are uh, some pics of these kids. Popping out at you? Just, in their little jammies. No, they're they're using this thing, uh, and it's adorable. Look at those cute kids in their little bedtime jammies. <laughs> uh, or as my daughter calls them, jammies. Oh, really? How British? I don't know why. My mom did it. Well, you and said in the, a, our from. language learning episode that your mom oh, right. <laughs> kind of <laughs> apes British people when she's around them, so that's probably where yeah, it came that's from. what it was. Put on your jammies. <laughs> that's right. That was uh, Tim my Curry. Fa- <laughs> it was. Uh, I've included some pics. Uh, both kids are huge fans. My son uh, loves all of the animal and earth science episodes, and my daughter especially loves 
the episode on poop. Very nice. Uh, aloha once again, because as we know, that could mean hello and goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is from Baird. And also, uh, and he names his kids, so I'm going to. Also, Mia and Luke. Uh, and this email has been spanked on the bottom, wrapped up and spanked on the bottom with consent. Nice. Well, mahalo, Baird, Mia, and Luke. We appreciate that big time. That was a great email. Um, Agreed. Yeah. And thanks for the cute pics. Uh, if you want to be like Baird and Mia and Luke and say aloha or anything else, you can email it to us. Send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.